pod. But... <laughs> All right. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Pastrana, and this is Brandon Stevens. We are here with American Entrepreneur Off the Wall. Uh, I just got this rolling because we were chatting, and you hit a subject that I'm like, let's let's start talking. <laughs> yeah. So to kind of answer your question about apparel, why don't we re- re-ask the question, and then we'll... All right, we'll- so Chris, guys... <laughs> Whoever's listening to this, the question I had asked Chris was simply so, as you guys all know, I buy, sell, and invest in businesses all day long. Simple, subtle plug. We all know that. Okay, moving on. Um, <laughs> well, part of that job is looking on broker sites and business listing sites all the time for businesses for sale and finding ones we get into. Well, Chris runs Strike Fear Apparel. And one of the things we constantly see on these sites as of recently, which like bombarded us out of nowhere, was a bunch of apparel embroidery businesses just popping up for sale at the same time. So I've seen two, actually, Chris, I've seen two. I've seen apparel, I've seen one, which I understand, but I don't know why they all went for sale at the same time, which is apparel embroidering. And then two, screen embroidering, which I have no idea what that is. So it was an interesting thing there. But if you go on these, any of these listing sites and you start searching for businesses for sale, like I, around here, at least in Southern New Hampshire, I've seen them pop up in this location, all home-based businesses, all with tons of machines, and everyone seems to be selling at once. And it was just like, when you see a pattern like that, it's a market shift. And I'm curious from what you see as an apparel business owner. So I don't know enough about how the market behaves normally. I know a lot of people do get into apparel. A lot of people get into apparel. A lot of people don't realize uh, how difficult it can be. Um, Mm -hmm. And then they sell out. The difference is you typically don't see that as much with embroidery. Of course, you always see businesses closing because embroidery machines are expensive. Um, Yeah. A lot of these have the machines with them too. Like they have different ones. I went to one company just to get a quote. So I had an idea. Because I want to get into embroidery because I don't have a machine, but their their smallest machine was ten thousand dollars, right? Yeah. So that was the beginning. That that equals these prices I'm seeing for you know when they talk about the assets for sale as part of the business. Yeah. So with these big machines, you typically don't get them unless you're serious. It's not like buying. I mean, guys, guys, I I don't want to. I just I misspoke. I just want to be clear for anyone listening to this. I said assets for sale. I meant inventory. All right. So inventory, not assets. Embroidery machines are inventory. Yeah. So in, uh, what was it? So in, it's kind of like, there's a couple of things going on right now. One is inflation. Mm-hmm. So just across the board, you're seeing the price for all goods rising, which goes, of course, for blank shirts. So your blanks are going up. So a lot of businesses close because with the increase in blanks, um, it becomes more difficult to have to get clients who are then going to buy the shirt. So you see that across the board. Again, I don't know enough about the market, but that would be my guess is if a bunch of places are closing down, it's that inflation is hurting them. Right. Um, because people don't really want to pay. That also brings a good question from my point of view, because I just, I said I misspoke, but now I don't know, because I don't know enough. I'm, you're, this is like an educational thing for me <laughs> about this style of business. So an embroidering machine in an apparel yep. company, would that be an asset? Like from looking, so if, like I'm very familiar with home service companies and manufacturing companies and difference between inventory and assets there, like in the manufacturing trust shop we were looking at, like the wood and the lumber and all that is inventory. The machines that run it are considered assets. So in an apparel company, would the embroider, I would assume the embroidery, I think I was right the first time, the embroidery machine would be considered a company asset because- Yeah, I think- yeah. I would, I'd have to talk to Michelle to bring her in on some of that, but I'm pretty sure that's an asset because it's now for a company that sells embroidery machines, that's inventory. Yeah, that's inventory. Yeah. But okay. the, so I would say the the apparel itself, like the shirts or inventory, yeah. whether the stuff that makes them are probably assets. Because typically an asset to a company is something that you can put a price on that depreciates and liquidate. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. So yeah, yeah, so we're right the first time. All right, cool. That was yeah. interesting. Just something I've never thought about. Yeah. Um, it's kind of just like how, how are shirts made? Oh, they just you know pop up and exist. <laughs> like they just they're just like you close that door and you say I want a shirt three times and poof. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the uh, 
So I would be interested in seeing those listings. I mean, I don't know where you go to search for them or anything. Uh, but... Well, I mean, the biggest, the biggest one, the biggest aggregators in the world is Biz Buy Sell. Going and put on um, Franklin County. Uh, so, for, so the areas around me, I searched all three under one search. It was Winham County, which is the Brattleboro area near me. Yep. Cheshire County, which is where we are in, and then um, Franklin County, which is Greenfield, Mass. Because I'm in the corner of New Hampshire. Um, so those are the three I searched and everything in that radius. I'm within about a 45 to an hour from all those locations. Yeah. So everything popped up in there from me, but as a business owner for you, if you could use the machines, if you, you know, if you were able to take their customers in the machines and get them on seller financing, it's not a bad deal. Yeah. That'd be heck of a commitment, but it's something they go. That's an asset, um, for but yeah. speaking of that, yeah, no, so speaking of interesting deals, I am scoping out, I have a conversation with a gentleman tomorrow, but we are, I have had several deals come in this week that are extremely creative now that people are getting to know me. One is a hundred percent seller financed hotel okay. as of, as of right now, the information I have on it and the conversation I'm in the owners are willing to 100% seller finance it. So I'm really, that's one we're going to be scoping out, which is really interesting because I have an investor who would back that to get that done. I mean, seller financing up front, you just walk into it if they like you and pay it yeah. out of what it's making. Um, I don't know enough about it. My worry is that it's not making much, but we'll see. That's why you go through the due diligence process. Yeah. Um, we're also, I have, an, I have a capital partner that we got, couple weeks ago who loves home service companies and he's contributed a couple hundred thousand to the pot and today we found a local home service company who it's um i won't get into exactly what it is just because i don't want people to go after this one until i do so that's one i just sent the email on but um they're basically doing around half of their home service company they're doing about half a million a year in revenue they have nine which isn't a lot this is where it gets interesting um so a little over half like just under six hundred thousand a year in revenue the owners are taking home a little bit over 200 well cash flow is over two hundred thousand a year and yep. they have nine employees mm-hmm so if you look at those numbers, that's really interesting, but they're willing to seller finance. It's about 300 K to get in the business and they're willing to seller finance almost all of that. Oh, wow. So we have very little down payment if we do it. And I already have somebody who can run it. So if everything checks out, that would be a good acquisition, but I'm yeah. interested in those numbers because nine employees on that amount of revenue, I want to know, there's got to be a miscalculation somewhere. There, there might not be, but when you're cash flowing 220,000 a year and yeah. you're making five, you know, just under 600,000, you have nine employees. What are you paying them? <laughs> yeah. I feel like unless they did cat, like, it's just interesting to me. <laughs> um, I feel like there should, that should be a different margin. So we're going to do our due diligence on it and check it out. But nice. um, that would be a, if that all checks out, that's a home run for us because it's going to be almost a turnkey operation. Nice. Yeah. So <laughs> we've had several, several leads and we're pursuing, Oh, um, I sense I'm a lot more active on LinkedIn. I'll tell you an interesting one we got into. Yeah. Um, we did, of course, we didn't buy this one yet, but we're looking into it. Um, tent rental. And I'm not talking about short-term rental, like like Airbnb stuff. Yeah, yeah. Tent rental. Event, okay. Like catering, like tent. The, okay, the yeah, big yeah. Tent, like if you go to the fair and you walk under a tent, which I've always assumed the fair brought with them because it was theirs. No, apparently... In Massachusetts, there is a big demand for tents to be rented, to put on events. So this company hmm. that we're looking at, which like surprised the hell out of me, was uh, the tent rental company. They basically set up, they, like, con- they have several large contracts in New England, and they set up tents, and they lease tents, and they rent tents, and they um, manage tents. Yeah. So... It's like the world's most boring business, (laughs) but it's like absolutely fascinating to me. I'm like, 
I didn't even know this was lucrative. And here these get like their expenses, a storage unit, and they pull yeah. everything. Yeah, like it's it's really interesting to me. And they have a staff and all that. So hmm. I'm like, we're yeah. Like, yes. So it's interesting. You, have you ever thought about that before? Like, I, it's one of those things where like it blew my mind because I'm like, I've never really looked at tents. I know you guys can't see me, but we're, me and Chris and I are on Zoom right now. <laughs> I've never, I've never looked at tents like that and been like, oh, this is lucrative. Yeah. So when it, so yes, I haven't thought of tents specifically, but the idea of taking anything with a high buy-in value and then renting it out is pretty straight, pretty common because we were thinking about doing that with um, like the selfie booth room that ideas that we have, but you can get selfie booth machines and you rent them to weddings and stuff. That's pretty common for a business. Mm-hmm. Um, so stuff like that. Yeah. But a tent specifically, no, I hadn't thought of that, but I know someone who was doing same thing, weddings, events, but he was doing VR setups. Right. So okay. you put a VR headset on and they can play games and stuff. And uh, I don't know if you ever went anywhere with that idea, but yeah, I've heard of stuff, stuff yeah, like this that. It's really interesting because it's something it was like an epiphany. Like I've never thought of that. I've never been like, oh, a business must set these up and rent these to these people on their yeah. behalf. Like, yeah. wow. Right. So, and it's a fairly, they've been around for a while. So I was like, all right, this is really neat. We're running into these all the time, like these niche little crazy little things and it's like it's really cool to watch because i'm like yeah. I'm, like i'm i'm gonna start referring the owners like when they retire i'm like before you call it up get on chris's podcast and tell people your story because yeah, i want to yeah. know how you get into something like tent rental like i just want yeah. it's interesting to me yeah like what's the train of thought on that right what got you there yeah like how did how did, did one day you just somebody was like hey can i rent that and you were like bingo right or was it like just weird left-hand way of getting into, I should rent tents for a living. <laughs> yeah. Like when we did the event at uh, flex work, this was a few months ago, back when it was still co-work. Um, someone was, we rented the speaker system from somebody. So same idea. They, they had the speaker system. We paid them a pretty small amount of money for them to come in, set it up. We used it for the event. They took it out. And then I didn't have to put up. They rented it from another company. Is that what no, you're saying? they and owned it. Okay, yeah. so they owned it. They bought it. They paid yep. the upfront fee, yep. at least for their finance, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, they did. They rented it to you, and they did assembly. Yeah, brought it in, put it together. Um, we used it for the event. They came back, took it. Pretty straightforward. Yeah, that seems like in in essence. That's a common business. That's a smart, yeah. common business model. But the things people do it with is when it gets interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So speaker, I didn't think about that. But yeah, too. I mean, you do that with podcasts. You like you do with speakers. Um, I guess you do it anything. Anything that people don't want to do themselves. Like I, I can understand where it's a pain to set up these big, you know, like event tents. I can understand how that's yeah. something people don't want to do. So they'll happily rent it from somebody who's willing to do that as part of setup and stuff. I understand that. I mean, it's the same thing with furniture, with the white glove, when you buy furniture with white glove delivery delivery service and you pay the extra couple hundred bucks or whatever to have the guys come in your house and set it up for you, right? Yeah, you, were, like, you were telling me about that before. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Like, it's just something that you just don't want to deal with, right? So you have you pay the premium to get it done. Um, another one, another, I actually wouldn't consider this one boring, but I didn't think of it. I ran into a business, it wasn't for sale, but I ran into a business business owner that his entire niche was garage to podcast studio conversions. Okay, that makes sense, yeah. His entire business model was converting garages to podcast studios. And he had two other partnerships, some to do the fabrication, some to do the audio work to set up. And I thought it was really interesting because I'm like, everyone wants to be a podcaster And there are people who want who build studio like build businesses off of placing people on podcasts. But this yeah. guy is built like he treats it like artwork too, right? Like he's built a career 
out of converting the places people work in to podcast studios for podcasters. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, that's another way to look at the industry. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty interesting what people come up with. And like I said, it all comes with people want to get into it. They don't have enough money or the knowledge to do it. So you kind of leverage someone else's ability to do it. And that's kind of, you see this with, uh, same thing, Airbnb, uh, what is it? Not, I don't want to say Toro, but you know, those types of places where they have the vehicle, they own it. We just want to take it for just a little bit <laughs> and you, you right. pay premium for it. So yeah. yeah, I'm looking at that same site you were talking about for the business listings as you're talking. Yeah, there's, so there's, there's biz by sell, which is yep. the main one everybody and their brother uses, but that aggregates them. There's bizben, B-I-Z-B-E-N.com. Um, there's, uh, another one, I didn't see these on this one, but there's Vested Business. I think it's vestedbb.com, mm-hmm. Vested Business Brokers. They're a, they're a heavy seller owner financing site for businesses. Um, yeah. So those are like some of the main ones we look at. And there's, I think, DealStream is one of them that I've commonly looked at before. Um, yeah. But yeah, those are a few of them. Um, the ones I saw were either on BizBen or BizBuy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just kind of flipping through as you're talking. Yeah, so it's like the thing about these sites, though, which drives me nuts is I, <laughs> as brokers, after they send you the info, it's like a war getting people to respond to you. <laughs> yeah. And like that's their job. So I'm kind of confused. <laughs> yeah. There's always issues with these types of things. Yeah. But. It's, uh, so if you ever reach out to them, you got to do most of the work to get the broker to respond to you. But that's okay. Like, well, they, they, just, they, they probably deal with a lot of, yeah, a lot of people who are like, oh, they want to talk, but they're not serious or they haven't made a name yet. So the person's not even going to bother dealing with it. Yeah. And then they just, they lose, they just stream by, like, you know, like people yeah. who have it. But I'm like, I have one that hasn't responded to me since. So I'm giving him a call tomorrow. Like, I'm going to yeah. hound him until he picks up because we have, like I said, we have investor capital ready to go. I have more. I am in a weird position. It's not my money, but I have more money than I have deals, right? So we. Well, that's need always deals. a good deal. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So it's like I have people who trust me to place their money in deals, and of course, we get paid by operating and owning a piece of these deals as well. But they need to place their money somewhere, and I need yeah. a place to put it. <laughs> so, like our problem right now is deals. So Chris, you yeah. find anything, please let me know. <laughs> yeah, I've ever run into something good like that. <laughs> well, they come out of nowhere. It's your network. Like I never, yeah. I wasn't looking for a hundred percent seller financed hotel. And now one of the guys like, yeah, we got to, you know, there's this hotel that's been on the market for a bit. They wanted this, the market won't respond. They dropped the price. They're not responding. So they're willing to, as long as they get their price, hundred percent seller finance it. I'm like, well, now we're talking. That's something yeah. we can possibly figure out. So let's have a conversation. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of opportunity there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what yeah, about the co work? You plan on moving it to uh, Manchester at some point, right? Or you were planning on it, something to do with that when you turn when you look for the more industrial facility. Yep, flex work. Yes, but flex yes. work. Yep, I'm getting. I I help name it, but I can't fucking remember it. All right. Yeah, yeah. Flex work. Yeah. Yeah, we we want to move eventually. Um, I'm at the point where do I have the ca- capital for that? No. Um, so after the rebranding, we are getting all of our systems kind of situated and optimized so that everything's running smoothly the way it should be, um, ready to go. We I turned up the marketing for the virtuals. So I'm trying to hammer down uh, how to pull in leads well for virtual. So I'm just playing with ideas on where to go, where to find them, what stuff. After I get a good stream of leads coming in on that, then I'll be looking at what it's going to take to expand the company a little bit. So because our offices are full, we're doing really well on that front. That's easy. Like surprisingly, Craigslist is really good for, for small for office offices? rentals. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So I'll put it like a $5 lead on Craigslist and I'll get like three or four hits on an office. And like, so four or $500 a month, just on $5. I'm like, yeah, that's plenty ROI, right? <laughs> no, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially with a good ad um, and some good pictures. Craigslist is really good for pictures. will do it. I've seen people just like, I, okay. 
when you are trying, guys, listen, if you are trying to put something for sale or for lease, please, for the love of God, have a not at least one non blurry picture that's like a, you're like first of all don't take it like you're on mount olympus somewhere like looking at your house or the item through a telescope oh my god i know right second please make sure it's not blurry like we have phones <laughs> yeah so that is the biggest issue um I, i've had this con- I've, it's funny you bring this up i've had this conversation before with other was it realtors and yeah. you don't see it as much in residential because in residential, people will pay a lot of money for some really nice stuff, right? Yeah. Great pictures, great video. You get to commercial, and they'll take like a picture of two doors here's on the outside the of the building, and they'll the never office. touch it. <laughs> like, here's the here's what it looks like, and here's the site map. I'm like, thank you. I need to see what the freaking inside of the building looks like a little right. bit, right? And so, yeah, yeah, that, that here's, happens here's quite the a bit. corner of the office building. <laughs> like, yeah. and I, saw one to, I saw one today on LoopNet in Massachusetts we're looking at because we have a, um, I have a new friend of mine who is investing in the cannabis industry. And this was a local place in Massachusetts for sale that was zoned for cannabis activity. And I'm like, all right, this is interesting. So I was looking at it and they're like, oh. They're like, here's the picture of the corner of the space and the garage door. And I'm like, what? what? Uh-huh. I was like, what? why? Like, but yeah, I was, I just found the uh, one of the screen printing businesses you mentioned. So <clears throat> I was checking that out. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah. We got, I don't know if it was, oh, screen one. I think there's a screen one in Hensdale too. That's yeah. It. Because screen printing and embroidery are different. They're all out of so their just, home. They're all they are. They're all home-based businesses. They say typically. So um, because they're they're big machines, but they're not. So if you have like a garage, you can usually uh, do most of this stuff out of the house. So because I run my my screen printing, not screen printing. I have a screen printer over here, but right. all all of my apparel stuff is just on the other side of the room. <laughs> so. My room's a mess. If I turn the camera on, you'd be like, whoa. But there's all my business stuff is in here. Yeah, I get it. Some of these, some of these bad boys are going for a decent price, though. And I'm like, they got to be an asset sale to a company that has a physical location because I don't see many people who are going to buy a home-based business to move it to their home and then run it when they would just use that same money to purchase the assets and the like it, I get if you get that like a steady list of clientele that are creating the cash flow of the yeah. recurring based business, but if yeah, it's yeah. not, it's just like all right. Well, that's exactly what um, I was reading on the one I just found out of Mass, and it said, you know, here's the price of the business. What's not included is the inventory. I'm like, well, that's ninety percent of your damn businesses, especially right. in apparel. That's yes, you got designs you have your clients but if you can't produce this stuff i'm like what the hell is it right so are you buying the rights to all the invent uh, to the design work i'm like what what's included yeah, that's, at that's that point that's ip right and they would have to have that trademark um well, yeah i mean but you can just sell that. it yeah but i mean if it's a home-based business and you're buying the rights to ip like I'm, I'm gonna be honest most home-based businesses don't have trademarks but well correct and like you said at the same time there's I probably shouldn't talk too much about it, but you know, um, there is a level of intellectual property that's uh, allowed without trademarks. Yeah, is it a custom domain. I don't know enough about this. Would be a good conversation for another one. Is intellectual property rights? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, like I said, one of the companies I invested into had a problem with that a while back, and we dealt with that situation. So. Yeah, because um, I know interesting. Because yeah, because I'm not sure enough how it works with trademarks and like Disney has things trademarked like Mickey Mouse, but oh, you know. can you can sell trade you can sell trademarks, you can rent trademarks, yeah. you can get royalties on trademarks. It's 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 nuts, right? It's, it's yeah, a whole another business model. Yeah, um, absolutely. But if you have your own IP and your own trademarks, and you sell that as part of your business, that will make your business a lot more valuable. But if you're selling an apparel company with no assets 
with yeah. no machines and just your apparel, your apparel, anybody can make those designs. They go on Fiverr if it's not true, like if it's not trademarked and go on Fiverr and yeah. have somebody just be like, make this. It's not, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, what are you selling your customer list? Okay. Do they, is it reoccurring? If not, yeah. there's no value there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just like everything, you need to know how to do the work too. So if you don't know how to screen print or embroider, good luck, you know. But. <laughs> You're like, sorry. Yeah, but yeah, no, it, it was interesting. I was on the sites today and I saw a bunch of these had come on market. And I'm like, huh, Yeah. wonder why at the same time, not like why they're selling, but why all of them at, you know, in such a short period of time together, like maybe it was like all these people are just like, nah, I don't want this anymore. Yeah, and like I said, it could very well just be, you know, chance, coincidence, a whole bunch of people are retiring. You know, there's a lot of people that uh, you, you may not see it with something like realtors because there's so damn many of them. But say, so let's take tinting, right? right? So in the tinting world up here where I live, I know all of the shops and I know all the people, right? Right. So if I reach out to someone, I'm like, Hey, someone just reached out to it for a quote on this. They're like, Oh yeah, they reached out to us too. Um, so we, we can't do things like price fixing. Like we can't be like, Hey, charge this. Right. But we, if you go to one of us, generally the other four or five shops know what's going on as well. Mm-hmm. So it could be like that. Um, a lot of the embroidery places or printing pr- places, they probably know each other from work being passed around. Maybe they're all of that same age. Who knows? There's, until you reach out and ask them like private embroidery clan that's like built their businesses together an embroidery syndicate from the yeah. <laughs> the association of home-based embroidery companies <laughs> oh, yeah, that'd right. be interesting no but if like since the pandemic and covid i will say this i am proud to see a lot of businesses that are home based i mean at least people starting them up and trying them um i came across this listing i forget what it actually was but it was an e-commerce company that started in massachusetts and they sell two types of peppers or herbs or spices or something too not just two just not a ton of stuff just two and they've become they started in the past couple years and they've become like the number one trader in new england in this ingredient yeah and it's all online and Hmm. it was really it was an interesting listing and i was like all right cool that's you know like we're seeing more and more of that stuff yeah Hmm. Uh, yeah Yeah, cool I don't know. My, my brain just kind of trailed off there. I was thinking about something, but whatever. Anyway, brain printing. <laughs> well, not even that. Just I'm going through businesses and home-based businesses and there's yeah. a lot in my head because I know window tinting, a lot of shops are started at home because um, you have mobile guys, you have home-based guys, and then you have people with shops. So I have yet to see ever see a tinting business for sale though, at least not in this area. Yeah, because it's one of those. It's one of those things where maybe it just hasn't come up yet. Because um, there are big tinting franchises. Like if you go to like a Tint right. World or one of those places, you can find big businesses. But the problem with a lot of so here's the problem in the tinting world. You see this with a lot of things that require a lot of knowledge and at least practice to get into. So you're finding it's far more lucrative to run your own shop than it is to work for one. Right. Mm. So when you run a tinting shop and you're the guy that's in there tinting every day, you can push 15, 20, $30,000 a month tinting cars. Right. Um, When you go to work for someone, you're getting like, if you're not very good, three, 4,000 a month, maybe five. Right. Your what you can earn drops. So a lot of guys, you have this weird circle that they're um, constantly stuck in, right? The people want to hire because they, they don't want to do all the work themselves. You can't scale a business that way over time. Mm-hmm. But when they hire someone, that person finds out how to do it, leaves, starts their own shop. So you, you're stuck. <laughs> yeah. in, you're stuck in this cycle of sounds like home services. I need to train someone and spend all that time training them just to have them leave and become your competitor later. So 
you see this are they heavy is, are they heavy on the non-competes i know some stuff like that can be pierced easily but i mean yeah it, I, it evades some people like some people they'll sign a non-compete and be like i don't want to deal with this you know like i'm i don't know i, I don't know each business is different i guess i don't know it's interesting but, i think i think uh maybe something that would help solve that and we've been talking about this in my firm is um for when we look at buying businesses because we like I'm like, I'm not like I've told you about this. I'm not interested in buying a job. If I have to work there, I'll work there for a little bit, but I'm trying my, when we buy something, yeah. what I like to do is turn it into a turnkey operation that I can manage, that Ray can manage, that Jordan can manage, that somebody yeah. can manage, right? Like without working in it 24 yeah. seven, um, because what's the point of buying a job? Just we're trying to build a portfolio here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the thing is with this and with what we're looking at, the, it, it's, what are you going to do? Like you're, you buy something and the owner is willing to help you transition onto it. There's still day-to-day activities that need to get done. There's still, you need to have an understanding of the industry. You still, you know, like there's all these things have to come into play. Yeah. So what we found to be a very simple solution is we look, we obviously look at companies with employees, but if you talk to the employees and you find out which one, you know, wants more roles and wants more responsibilities and wants better pay. You can usually, in our thesis is we get the owner, once we buy it, we get the owner to train one of the employees to be the new owner. And we'll put the new employee in a position Mm -hmm. to run the place. And then we'll put the employee on a multi, you know, two, three, four year earning program. So they own a piece of the business by the end of it. If every, if they manage it correctly and don't, you know, like slack off or something like just on salary. So you put them in an earning program so they can share in the upside. And that's how we kind of solve that problem. But it's one of those things where these tent shops, if, if you're saying that one guy on his own can do 15 to $20,000 a month, and he wants to hire help, you know, that could be super lucrative if he just paid these, you know, one or two of these guys what they normally do. Because if each person can produce, you know, $15,000, $20,000 a month, just give them a small piece of the profit share and you focus on building the systems, the brand and the trademark, they're not going to want to leave because they already get a piece of the upside. Yeah, that's definitely a good way to look at it. Again, you have to run the numbers to see what's feasible, but it like I said, I know. So tinting, um, mat, most of the cost is labor. The inventory is not very expensive. Now where you start getting your cost is overhead, your shop itself, insurance, that type of stuff, right? Um, electricity minor, except not except in New Hampshire, where it's apparently becoming a major thing. Um, but most of it is labor. So you're right. There is probably a lot of room to pay people well. And again, the issue, which I guess people just need to kind of get over it, is you're going to have to pay people really well for them to become good tinters so that they stay so you can make more money. Because if you don't... There's also, there's this thing, though, and I've really started with the younger generation, right? And I've started to see this, too. And it's something where everybody the older generation is like pervertless like we will not give up equity by any means yeah anything not even one percent anything but the younger they this generation my my generation and younger we have this inherent need to be a part of something like an actual part of it Mm -hmm. and i've been calling it the ownership economy so there are a lot of people where you could get there's a lot of times you could get a young tinter in there that would work for the average tinner's pay not want more, but if you give them a piece of ownership, 5%, 10%, you know, whatever earning, maybe a five, maybe even at a five-year earning program yeah. or something like that for five or 10% of the company, even if it's just 5%, he owns a piece of the company. Like he feels yeah. that it's all of a sudden he's like, I am building this together. This is also something I'm involved in. The owner yeah. owns this. I own this. I work here. I get paid. But I also, the more I do, the more I make. Yeah. Mine's completely shifts. It's not just your company. It's now our company, right? Yeah. And most good people understand, well, I know I don't own 95% of it, but I own 5%. So he's going to make the decisions, but I'm going to work harder because I make more the more they, the, more the company makes, right? So it, it's one of these things where it's like, 
Yeah, you get where I'm going with that. Yeah. And so it becomes a question of does it work? Because it hasn't really been tried because it's it's a newer idea, right? Um, yeah, it's an age gap. Well, yeah. So, well, you said it. So, with everything, I, th- I think um, a lot of times people get into this mindset of, um, what is it? They need to find something that's the perfect solution, which doesn't happen. So, even with what we have now, there's clearly problems. You can't get employees, all this stuff. So, can you train someone, get them bought into the system, and then care about the business as much as you care about the business because it's your business to start? Now. I, I actually agree with you. I think getting people involved, giving them piece of the company and ownership in the company and put part of the profits is a great way to make yourself more and uh, what is it? incentivize people to come join you. Right. Yeah. Incentivize people, loyal people. And it's, yeah. it's like, like people, the minute I say, give your employees, you know, like a piece of the upside, people like freak out. An earning program is structured how you structure it. Yeah. Like if you are structuring employees' earning program based on performance and milestones, and they hit it, that's somebody that's going to be worth giving that to. Yeah, absolutely. That's and my you, point. You keep yeah. them there. Like so, this is this is a fun example. Um, at the window cleaning business, you know, my day job, uh, we just lost two employees. Now these guys have been here for one of them was ten years. Right. And he just left because he was, he's getting annoyed because they, they won't give him benefits. Right. So um, he doesn't have any of this, any healthcare and that stuff. Right. So, he, but he gets paid. Okay. That's fine. Um, but they wouldn't give him a, a paid vacation every year. Right. And he's like, I just want a damn week paid vacation and they would never do it. So he's like, I'm going to go start my own business. He's like, I don't need to make 30% of all the work I do. I'm just going to go make hundred percent of the work I do. And that's what he did. He left. So now they're scrambling because in window cleaning, we're booked out months with all the houses that we have to do, especially this time of year. Right. So now there's a ton of business. The company can't get because they don't have enough employees to cover that work because they had that work going to our, the, these guys, the, the, they've been here the longest. So that work gets then gets shifted down to me and my partner because we do, we're the second best crew. So we have, um, we get a lot of really good paying jobs because we do good work, right? Even though I've only been there for like six months, five, six months. Um, but they lost them just because of something simple. They wouldn't let, they wouldn't give the dude his normal pay of what, $700 a week or whatever it works out being $1,000 a week. They wouldn't give him a freaking free week and he makes that. Right tens and twenties of thousands of dollars every yeah, year. And that's something that's simple that companies need to pay attention to because mm-hmm. it's like that's that's developing HR in your company to pay attention to your employees. Yeah. Right. Like that's that's having that's actually listening to what they want. Because this guy didn't even ask for a raise. He just wants a week. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and because at the window cleaning place, it might be different for other places. Um, but in our in this particular company, uh we're paid on performance or paid commission. So if we want to do a couple of jobs a day, you only make 30% of whatever you clean. So if we can clean thousand dollars a day, we'll make $300 a day, whatever. Right. So it's entirely on us, how much we want to work, how fast we can clean. And you guys are all on commission. You just said, yep. Everyone. Yep. So you want to, you want to get people to stay and come and outdo your competitors. What you put you what that guy wanted would be what the company should add. Like if well, if you're on commission, and what we'll do is if you stick with us every year, we'll give you a week off from work yeah. and pay you your average commission. Right? Yeah. Look at the numbers. What is your weekly average average out to? That becomes your week of free pay. Yeah, I mean that'd be good. Them, but you know how incentivized that would be? Yeah, absolutely. And I know that. I know they can afford it. It's window cleaning. So the, the overhead on the window cleaning business isn't super high, right? Because right. our, our materials are mop squeegee and some Dawn dish soap, right? And that's a lot of it. And of course, the vehicles, I, I know there's more expenses and stuff and the shop and all that. But as far as other businesses, it's not super um, like inventory heavy. So yeah, it's just, it's, I think they uh, missed out on, 
some pretty basic things to incentivize their employees to stay. So, yeah, well, not, that's funny you say that. Cause it's not just that 90% of the time when I'm, you know, when like every company we look at so far, well, most of them, there's always been some kind of miscommunication between the business owners and the employees. Yeah. Right. The business will be like, Oh yeah, we're one big happy family. The employees will be like, I freaking hate it. <laughs> yeah. And I'll be like, do you guys not talk to each other? Like, <laughs> I don't understand. Um, but we've seen that multiple times and it's, and you know why in, in, if any business like is like, Oh, I don't understand why employees are like that. It's, it's usually just, they haven't listened to one yeah. thing. They want one small thing. Usually it's not like an employee is not them. Oh, I want to be paid a hundred grand a year. It's not something outlandish. It's usually like, I want one vacation. I want one more dollar an hour. Yeah. I want one more day off a week. I want to leave two hours earlier, one time a month, like random yeah. things. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, and it's like, if those small things were just hit, those people would stay loyal to the company. Yeah, absolutely. I say he was there for 10 years and because they wouldn't give him a damn vacation off he goes. Right. So yeah, that's pretty funny. I just saw it was up in Laconia. Oh, you just, I just lost your sound. Yeah. It, uh, it's like freaking out one second. You're back. Yeah. I don't know why it's doing it. Um, everything's like being really funky right now on my system. I just upgraded it to a bunch of other stuff. So everything's kind of, yeah, nice. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, so I just found this company up in Laconia. It's like they're asking for two million. I was like, oh, geez, that's a it's a screen printing embroidery business. So I just thought it was kind of funny because we were. So I'm about guessing that. that's not home based. No, no, it's not. That is a. <laughs> yeah. Are they doing the cash flow? Gross revenue: one point six million. Uh, inventory cash flow 150,000. So I'm like, mm. it's a little low compared to some of the ones I've seen. So 1.6 million and 150,000. So that's hovering around the 10% mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, so that was funny. Not bad. I saw a real estate company going for one of my friend and friends acquired about buying a real estate company. And they were, they did $43 million a year last year in revenue. And they're asking that, first of all, the brokers don't even know how to put a packet together. So we're not going to talk about that, but what they want, they asked him to submit an LOI. And he's like, you guys didn't give me a price. And they're like, oh, the owners want somewhere between 18 to 22 million. I'm like, well, first of all, that's not a price. (laughs) That's a range. Yeah. I'm like, well, so it's like they did 43 million. They want 18 to 22 million. The profit margins were 8%. Yeah. Like, all right. Um, wow. Okay. Now I don't know. I don't buy real estate that yeah. much. So I don't like know if that is a common percentage in a, re- a company that builds homes, not like buying a multifamily company or buying uh, you know, like a short-term real estate, you know, like Airbnb. Yeah. But like, I mean, like this company, it was a real estate company that built homes. Okay. Yeah. So it was a home building company. So I don't know if those are average margins for that industry. Well, I was like, wow. And then the broker came back and asked them, he's like, before you submit your LOI, please submit a separate document showing your investment thesis. I'm like, that's a weird ask. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. But I'm like, you know, so these are not motivated people, but it was just interesting because I don't see a lot of those companies for sale, but uh, yeah, no, we're talking about, you know, 2 million in revenue and stuff. We did find one that was 43 million. I was like, all right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure what the, what is it? Um, whatever. I don't know what the margins are on real estate. I used to know a little better because uh, I was in real estate for a good bit. The uh... Well, I know for bigger multifamily projects right now, a lot of my friends in real estate are pitching anywhere from 15 to 20, like low 20% returns. Yeah. So you do that on a property, you buy. 
like this is a home building company. I just like, I, I don't know if it's average that industry, but 8%, I was like, wow. Yeah. It would be something to, I know I'm, I'm writing down all things I want to ask, like in the future. <laughs> for what? Like screen for like when, for what? It just knowledge, like, right, like yeah, knowing that type of stuff. So I'm going to ask a real estate developer, like what's your typical profit margin? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, this is what, so, all right. I'm glad you asked that because I've been talking about this a lot on LinkedIn. I have, my thing is I firmly 100% believe every entrepreneur, no matter what business they're in, no matter what they do for a living, I don't care what, I believe every entrepreneur should have a holding co to either A, be an investor or B, be a serial opportunist, one or the other. It's your whatever you do and your investor, period. Because people are like, oh, I'm a, you know, like I, I run an apparel company. I'm not an investor. Yes, you are. Yeah. Because are you telling me if Joe Blow's apparel company over there with every freaking asset that you need to grow your company and his employees went to liquidate on sale and you could get things for like 10, you know, like, you know, like pennies on the dollar yeah. and seller finance and his employees over, you want to do that? Like you're telling me you wouldn't take put, pick up an asset sale like that to absorb his holding company, his entire yeah. customer list, his brand, his IP rights. Yeah. And most people be like, yeah, no, I would definitely do that. Okay. You're an investor, but you're now, you need to be set up for that opportunity. Yeah. So it's like people, it's just a reframe of the mind. Like it's, it's like, cause you tell them like, as a business owner, you run into tons of other business owners and you're inevitably going to end up somewhere either around real estate or around other businesses. Well, what mm-hmm. goes for sale? Real estate and other businesses. Yeah. And what are two of the best investments, uh, not financial advice, but two of my, the best investments, in my opinion, that you can make? Real estate or private businesses. <laughs> like So yeah, it's one of those things where I think every business owner should also have, you know, dedicate a percentage of their time to learning how to be an investor and yeah. act on opportunities as you see them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, like I said, it's a different mindset when people want to get into investing over running their business. Cause uh, I think you follow Ryan Stuman and those guys as well. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I used to follow Ryan heavily um, a couple of years ago, not so much anymore, but yeah. I'm in the ballroom with Drew Howergan and he's inside Apex, if I remember. So we get a lot yeah. of this stuff reposted in there. Yeah. So a lot of the, what is it? A lot of them talk about being a worker. Then you become like kind of an entrepreneur and eventually an investor is like the top of it. The, the, the four quadrant thing? The four quadrants? Yeah, I forget. I forget. It's like, I forget how they lay it out, whatever. But Cash flow quadrant, I think. Yeah. So eventually you get into the, where you own your own business and you do all this stuff. And um, it's just a shift in, like I said, a shift in mindset over how do you want to go about the process? Where do you want to be? How do you think about your money? All that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's a different, I was having a conversation with a, a new one, an acquaintance of mine that turned into a friend. He owns a moving company out West and he, he he's not that super passionate about it. He likes what he does. He's been very successful at what he does. He yeah. has employees, he has a crew and he's just about to step out, right? Like he's about to step out from his position of working day to day in the moving company yeah. and hire someone to work in that exact position on his behalf and manage your teams. So mm-hmm. I asked him like, all right, what are you going to do next? He's like, oh, He's like, well, I'm going to talk to the customers and the employees and check in with the employees. And I'm going to check in on that guy to make sure he's managing it. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And I'm like, "Um, you have another exit to go. And he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, you're still working in the business. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, okay. He's like, but he's like, that's, he's like, after this, wouldn't it be selling it? I'm like, no, you're still, you have another exit. Everything you're doing right now you're being the bird's eye view on these people yeah. and my, like having the, the need to want to be like, all right, here, here, and here, you need to replace that position. And once you do that, you're good because the goal is if you pay attention to built to sell and the eight value drivers, the goal of any company is to get to a point where you can get lost on an Island for 90 days with no cell phone and no carrier pigeons and no emails and no rocks and no way to look or contact your company at all for 90 days. Yeah. 
And when you get back, that company is either going to be running the same or better without you. Yeah. That's the goal. That when you can do that, your company is extremely valuable in the marketplace and you've turned it into an asset. So yeah. I told him, I'm like, look, my friend, you have one more exit to go. You do, but just one more. And he's like, well, he's like, wouldn't that cut into the profits? I mean, no, because at this position, he's like, you just got to wait till you get another 60, 70, $80,000 a year, get the profits up and then immediately replace him. And you're at the same margin, if not better as before with the same profits and the same revenue, yeah. but with more employees and you're completely out of the business. Yeah. I'm like, tell me that wouldn't be worth it to now go do what you actually want to do and still hold on to this business and you don't need to sell it and you don't have to be passionate about it because now it's an asset. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, yeah. Listen, I said, I agree. I just, I have so many other little things floating around in my head. Like I love the sound of all of it. it just I'm not becomes, saying it's easy, it, Chris. It is not. Well, I'm, I, I understand that. Like I said, there's a lot of variables thrown around in there that are kind of, taking around like finding good employees <laughs> i mean isn't that the problem with everybody though yeah and that's what i said i'm like oh this sounds great and i'm like then you have to deal with people and all of a sudden that goes to shit right <laughs> it's a learning curve systems and processes i mean that's the biggest part hiring is one of the biggest problems with any company but i mean like you look at these well-established companies and you talk to any of them yeah you know like out of every 10 employees you maybe three of them turn over constantly but yeah. there's seven that stay there you're like oh you're like john in the corner has been here for 25 years like you don't think that's a guy who could help you run it yeah no like, shit right yeah, so I've always, I've always, I don't know. There's, there's so many things that I see businesses do. And I'm like, why, why are you doing the things you do? Right. So they're like, Oh, we're going to hire manager. We're going to hire a manager. And I'm like, uh, an outside manager. Is that like, yeah. I'm like, this guy's been here for a long time. And, <laughs> and again, so this goes back to yeah. something I've talked about this on the old podcast and it's business show. I've talked about this ad nauseum. Right. And uh, the problem is, a lot of people are taught in schools to work your nine to five, you know, be a follower, do all these things, right? Where you go to college, you know, all this stuff. Where in reality, if you want to succeed and go much further in life, skills like public speaking, uh, managing leadership, those types of things, things you can't really teach in a classroom, but you can learn. Those things will take you so much further if you uh, in, in business and entrepreneurship and all those things, because just like we're talking about working with a business and buying a business sounds phenomenal until you deal with employees. But if if that's what you've trained for and you know how to talk to people, you know how to deal with people, you know how to manage things and run a business and speak and all these things so much easier and that's how you get past your nine to five mentality and, and status and kind of move up into i guess a better a better area of life if that makes sense yeah but you know it's also a deciding factor in that which is and i've been actually doing a lot of reflection on this on recently because it has to do with personal development is those three things leadership public speaking and management, managerial skills, basically. You know what they all have in common? They're extrovert activities, not introvert. Mm -hmm. And I've been seeing that a lot. If you look at most people nowadays, they are inherently introverts. And that's just yeah. how they act. Like they're an introvert. Like I'm an introvert that had to learn to be an extrovert. I'm very honest about that. You know, I grew up as an introvert and I over time trained myself to be an extrovert. Now I'm very good at it. I'm comfortable being an extrovert. But you're so very rarely you'll find a couple of people who just have the gift of public speaking or managerial skills or, you know, yeah. uh, leadership that has to be trained into you. But yeah. before you can train in them, you have to learn how to go from introvert to extrovert. Now, going from introvert to extrovert is a lot harder than going from extra going from an extrovert without public speaking managerial or leadership skills to an extrovert with those skills yeah so the leap that most people miss is before the training of the skills it's learning how to change your personality 
because you cannot be an introvert and do those three things. They just don't fit together. You will always be fighting yourself, always second guessing yourself and always having anxiety and worried about it and might not even pull the trigger on the things you need to do. So it's getting that mindset shift and that developing your personality through habits to shift that, then learning it that can cement it. And that's the reason why not a lot of people develop those skills is because they can't get that first step or they don't even recognize that's what's happened. So I'm far more introverted than I am extroverted. Mm-hmm. Now, so this is for my introverted audience out there. If anyone struggles with this problem, I deal with it too. Um, he said far more introverted than extroverted. Now, what I've found is I love public speaking. I find it... Uh, with a little bit of practice, I'm getting much, much better at it, right? I just need more opportunities now. But what I've I've discovered is it's more a question of the uh, the chaos in the room and how it's being controlled, right? So if I'm in front of 10,000 people and everyone's focusing on me and it's not like buzzing and crazy, that's easy, if that makes sense. So if like public speaking is fine. Um, if I'm performing on stage, I've always, that's not a problem, Mm -hmm. but if I'm in like a party, I don't like that type of environment. It freaks me the hell out. (laughs) So if you're an introvert, I've found, um, if I can at least control the situation enough so that I can put it into kind of the harmony I wanted in, I can do much better in much better controlled chaos. Yeah. So it's a much more controlled yeah. situation. No, like, I completely understand yeah. that. In the same so, way. I, I was, I'm, I'm an introvert that learned mm-hmm. to be an extrovert because I, when I did the workshops and seminars with BDCC, I had to get over that real quick because, you know, as an introvert, you're like, oh, people, workshops, speak, et cetera. But when I got up there, I discovered I loved it. And once yep. I control, this is for, in my experience, what happened. I was scared to death until the first words came out of my mouth. Yeah. Once, once I, once I was up there and I said the first words, it all went away. Yeah. All the anxiety, all this, all of that went away and I went right into my zone. And the reason for that was because at that moment, everyone was looking at me and I was controlling the chaos. People were listening to me. They were centered on me and I controlled where it went. When you're an introvert, you want that control because Mm -hmm. you're scared of like, I scared may not be the right word, but you were cautious and nervous around the, around the chaos itself. So if you can at least control that chaos, then you can get over those qualities. Absolutely. And he said, that's all it is, is controlling, uh, putting your environment into a situation that makes you at least a little more comfortable. And he said, I host this podcast because it's one-on-one. It's much easier. It doesn't matter that hundreds and eventually thousands of people watch or listen to it, right? It matters that you and I can have a good conversation. So even though I'm introverted, you put things into an area where you can control them and then you function. So if anyone out there is struggling <laughs> with just became a self-help podcast, folks. <laughs> abs- absolutely. So yeah, cause that's, that's a little over an hour. So we'll kind of wrap up around there. That's a good way to end it. Um, so Brandon, how do people reach out to you and get a hold of you? Well, I don't know if I said this on the last podcast, but my company completely rebranded. We finally got my middle name off of it. So now it's bigger than me. So you can get a hold of me at Brandon at partnerridge.com, which is the new name of my firm. And it's P-A-R-T-N-E-R Ridge, R-I-D-G-E.com. So Brandon at partnerridge.com. You can email me there. You can go to the website and submit a form and, you know, I'll reach out to you or someone from the team. Awesome. So I'm Chris Pastrana. I'm the owner of the newly branded as well, Flexwork. <laughs> uh, Flexwork used to be co-work and we uh, we put the flex in it because one of a muscle head and the other um, I'm aiming for taking the co-working space and kind of making it more flexible. Uh, so flexible co-working, light manufacturing, that type of stuff eventually. Mm. So I'm kind of getting everything situated for the next move. Mm, um, so yeah, so Pastrana Enterprises, uh, Flexwork, uh, Strike for Your Clothing and Apparel, NH Tint. Those are the big ones. I was on there. So, <laughs> and eventually, 
the selfie room. That's the next one I want to get going because I think that one will actually be a very good business right off the bat. We need to keep talking about that. Yeah, yeah. That one's going to be good. As soon as I have the capital, I'm moving on it and yeah. we're moving forward. So, well, end the podcast and I want to have a quick conversation. Gotcha, gotcha. So, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, find us anywhere, Pastrana Enterprises, and then Partner Ridge. <laughs> Brandon. <laughs> and uh, we'll Free talk to you all next party. Week. Yeah, yeah. See you guys.